0: So this came together on Twitter recently, um, there was a article published in the Financial Times called Bitcoin's rise reflects America's decline. And Hugh had uh, an invitation, let's say to the author uh, to speak to debate because uh, I think he had a few disagreements with the article. So uh, VJ chimed in on the thread and uh, we put this thing together. Uh, and I'm sure we'll discuss that and more, but just before we do. Vijay, maybe we start with you. We'll just get a brief intro uh, from the two of you and then we'll get rolling.
1: Sure, so my name is Vijay Boyapati. Uh, I'm a computer scientist by training. I'm a former Google engineer, uh, born and raised in Australia, came to the US to do a PhD in computer science, uh, but ended up doing taking a job offer instead. Um, I spent many years studying economics, so I have a background in Austrian economics and have been interested in financial markets for the last decade plus. Um, And I'm a huge fan of Hugh as well. I've been following him for a long time. And I have to say Hugh uh, saved me in 2008. Sort of informed me of, uh, you know, the imminent collapse in the housing market. And I took a a very bearish position and I shorted banks and saved my portfolio. (laughs) So uh, Hugh, if you're ever in Seattle, beers are on me. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I, I will hold you to that. Um, I think you're being way too kind. I think I probably warned you about the imminent housing collapse in 2005, 2006, 2007. It was actually yeah. collapsing in 2007, of course. It probably peaked in 2006. So that existential question, who am I? Who, who knows? Um, I think I'm on my the, the, the third act. Um the very kind boys from Real Vision put out my absurd film, my my hedge fund rap from London, <laughs> and without the background. The background is, I ca- yeah, I came from a very, I mean, who, I working class hero is the name of a John Lo- a John Lennon song. Um, it's not the name of my life, but yeah, you know, I came from, I came from somewhere bleak. Uh, my life kind of seemed like grey. Um, I kind of used education to escape it. I found myself in an incredibly intelligent environment in Scotland, but with kind of people who are stiff. I moved to London and I was introduced to pirates, and I launched my own hedge fund in 2002. I did many things. Largely, I I had the license to thrill. Um, Most people will tell you I'm a jerk because they measure um, intelligence in terms of compound annual growth rates. my license to throw was to try and make some money, but to be uncorrelated. I want to say I feel I succeeded. However, in doing so, I became gray. I became like the Royal Navy. And so I gave it all up to become a pirate. And where better to be a pirate than in the beautiful island of St. Bart's in the French West Indies in the Caribbean. So there you go. That's me.
0: <laughs> Doesn't sound too bad at all. Um, and I did see that piece, actually, Hugh, that, that Real Vision just put out. And at the end, you said, we'll see things they'll never see. So I want to dig into that a little bit later. But I do want to frame this up for people that are wondering what the exchange was uh, on Twitter the other day. And so, again, the article was Bitcoin's rise reflects America's decline. And Hugh, I'm just going to read very briefly the couple of tweets that you responded. And you said, I feel um, to the author of the article, Rana for Ruhar, uh, I feel move to reach out to you directly following your article in today's financial times i've invested a huge amount of my life to reading this newspaper the ft means something it has standards to uphold i recognize that criticism can be viewed as petty and lazy but i feel no one is left to protect my sensibilities i'm seeking well thought out robust and contentious thought pieces this most certainly was not public criticism sucks trust me i know so let me reverse track i congratulate you for having the passion and desire to commit to something to print I think the problem rests more with those you cite and who seem to hold sway over your opinions. So in the spirit of the game, I offer you the chance to go head to head with me on a live Twitter podcast at a time and date of your choosing. What have you got to lose? I'm just a washed up former macro hedge fund manager living it up on a tropical island pirate flag. So Hugh, why don't you uh, share with us what your, you know, what left you feeling that your sensibilities were not being protected and that you had to respond in this way to the article? Um. Well, in, in, I mean, obviously, too much coffee.
2: Um, and <laughs> it is quite a horrid thing. Have I become? Have become that guy, who, like who, who writes the, you know, I'm not happy piece, um, the, but I wasn't happy. I really, and 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 to be fair to to the to the author, I just felt it should be edited better. I think the introduction was absurd. Um, and I think I can call upon the expertise on this panel to perhaps explain to me how something can go to zero five times. I mean, I think like going to zero to my life was always finite. Like, um, if you rise 100% from zero, you're still zero. If you rise a million times from zero, I believe you're still zero. So just the very first. I mean, of course, that was the second thing, because the first thing was the title. You know, this notion of American decline because we have Bitcoin value at a trillion dollars, again, is an absurdity. And then. For those of you sad enough to be aware of my my Twitter online kind of comments, you'll know that there's a good force, namely me, and there's the the dark evil force of Luke Grom. <laughs> I say that I've got great respect for Luke, but uh, we're always on the different end. We're always kind of kind of almost. It's like it's a, it's a it's a tragedy because really, um, we could be best friends, but somehow just kind of little details get in the way and it's probably me and it's probably me being cranky.
0: So do you have a, an issue with the premise of the article? You know, I, I know you mentioned that s- to some degree it's the editing and, and some of the, the way it was framed. But, you know, the, the issue of Bitcoin kind of impacting or Bitcoin's rise uh, reflecting the decline of America or different elements of the existing structure of America. Is that something that you take issue with?
2: Yeah, I object to. So, I mean, you know, I speak way too much. So, you know, I would ask, I'm sensing that that's not terribly contentious for you, whereas it is for me. So perhaps if you just give, like you guys, if you can give me back, you're like, yeah, I read. And I was like, yeah, but that kind of makes sense. So why does that make sense? And then
1: I'll, I'll come back for my rebuttal.
0: VJ, do you want to respond first?
1: So I think I completely agree with you. I mean, I'm not going to be defending that article. Uh, I would just say, if anything, the existence of Bitcoin and the ability for American citizens to choose is, is a sign of American greatness, not a sign of American decline or weakness, that if we don't trust our government, if we don't trust the monetary policy, we have an alternative and we can choose that alternative. And it's a it's a sign of, you know, long-standing American values that we have freedom, individual freedom, and the ability to choose. So I I completely disagree with the premise. I completely agree with Hugh. Uh, I uh, it, it may seem to some people that I, Hugh and I were on here to debate each other. It's absolutely not the case. I'm I'm here to to speak with someone I think is a master. So, uh, I, I agree with him on this one.
0: Well, that's no fun. Exactly, this is just the worst live cast ever. (laughs) So so how about this? How about this? Um, You know, I think I think perhaps one of the most compelling uh, phrases in that article was the very final one, the last sentence where she said, for now, the Bitcoin boom may be best viewed as a canary in the coal mine. Um, And, you know, I think along with what uh, Vijay was saying is it kind of depends the locus of perspective that you're considering when you ask this question. America as the Leviathan state, is Bitcoin's rise reflective of its decline? Perhaps. I know a lot of people in the Bitcoin uh, space believe that, you know, more sovereignty should be, you know, boiled down to the individual. And as a a result of that, the size and influence of the state may shrink. So from that perspective, maybe that's the case. But as Vijay was saying, you know, America has been pretty... um, you know, welcoming of Bitcoin as an innovation. A lot of American investors or Bitcoin holders have been early to the party and it probably represents a large portion of the global holding. So from that perspective, if we if we believe that Bitcoin is going to represent a big part of the global financial mix in the future, then they should derive great benefit from that. And are we looking at America from that perspective? So I think that's a critical piece of, of how we frame that question. But before we get too far into this, Hugh, What are your general opinions about Bitcoin? Just so we can kind of know where we all stand here. Okay, so um, I like
2: being contentious, but I, I was motivated by the fact that, you know, here is now a trillion dollar asset. Something's gone from zero to, to a trillion dollars in the best part of what? 12 years, less than 12 years. And, and it has its its followers are devout and very strong, strongly opinioned um, and excited by it and, and and typically they're renegades and they're kind of my, my crew, you know, the, the people you find in the underground stations in the Mad Max world when it's all over, the people that had a contingency plan and I respect and I applaud them but turning the mirror on myself um, I don't have it I, I've not kind of caught it and and so i find myself subject to ridicule by a lot of people but from first premises i still in terms of it being money or being an un- i don't see it so it's an alternative asset to me fine um and i've got some alternative assets but i'm not i'm not down on money um and now we've got digital money you know we we used to we look at we spend a lot of time talking about hyperinflation and we have to go back to the 1920s and the 1930s. And and it's scary because there is an environment typically where you find a political system which has gone off the off the rails um, and is kind of focusing around extremes and has strong leaders. In it. And a lot of those statements can be attributed to today. And I think that's why we look at it. but my vein of thought is when we see and think of hyperinflation we we see brown grainy images of people with wheelbarrows pushing banknotes um uh, to the to the grocery store and of course today if you think of technology not just bitcoin but how many zeros can you I and mean, there's a question for you, how many zeros can you put on an iphone in terms of apple pay so i really would love again to to be i'd love to hear the you convince me that i need it why why is it not in my why have i got an empty pocket
0: VJ.
1: well i think the the first thing is that the world needs a reserve currency it needs a store of value that people can rely on and can trust uh if we look at the history monetary history we see that you know during the 19th century gold Played that role. It was the reserve currency of the world. Banks settled using gold. Uh, And and we need something that is non sovereign, that doesn't uh, give an exorbitant privilege, as Charles de Gaulle said, to any one nation. And the US has that exorbitant privilege right now, uh, having the reserve currency of the world. Uh, So I think we will go back to a world which has a non sovereign store of value as the reserve currency. And I just, I don't think that's gonna be gold. I think that's gonna be Bitcoin. So if, if you believe that the opportunity for for Bitcoin, the financial opportunity is still massive. We're still very, very early. Uh, I, I would say we're in the second innings or third in, innings to use a, a baseball metaphor that you might not understand. Uh, so I, I it's not too late. Um, and, and one thing I find with people thinking about whether they should invest in Bitcoin is they get caught up on the price a little bit. Uh, you know, I've missed the run up. I'm, I'm so late. How can I get into this now? And I just want to break it to anyone watching this. Everyone feels that way when they first buy Bitcoin. I felt that way when I first bought Bitcoin. Uh, because you see all these people who were in before you and who got got in at much cheaper prices. I think as an investor, as individual investors, retail investors, the way to think about it is not, well, what's the price? Should I be buying at this price or that price? The right way to think about it is, what percent of my portfolio do I feel comfortable allocating to Bitcoin? Is it maybe for some people it's 1%, some people it's, maybe some people, it's even more than that. Um, There are a lot of people who are younger generation millennials who feel comfortable having 50 to 100% of their portfolio in Bitcoin, and they can tolerate the risk of doing that. Now, as to the value proposition, not everyone has experienced the power, the feeling of self-sovereignty of having your savings on your person uh, without those savings being a liability of another third, of a third party, such as a bank or a government, that you have the ability to cross borders, go anywhere on earth, and take your savings with you—it's incredibly powerful feeling. And when you felt, like you you'd never want to go back. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you a little story about my my childhood. When I was a kid, um, my my mother got sick, and my dad—we were living in Australia—we were young kids. My, my dad got worried. He was living there in Australia with his two kids and his wife. They grew up in India and he was worried about how he'd raise his kids. So he sold all his assets and he wanted to go back and take us back to India. And at the time, India didn't have a banking system. So what he did was he sold all his assets. He couldn't transfer that capital back to India without, you know, a functioning banking system. So he put uh, all of his savings into physical gold bars and carried those gold bars on a plane back to India uh, with my sister and I. And I'll never forget how uh, stressed my dad was carrying his savings in a bag uh, on a plane to another country. And now we have the ability to do that. Anyone has the ability to do that with Bitcoin without anyone knowing you can you can be living in Venezuela and you can cross the border with a million dollars worth of Bitcoin and no one will ever know is an incredibly powerful thing. It brings self-sovereignty to individuals, uh, and uh, it, it gives you the ability to control your own destiny. That's, that's where I see, see the sort of individual motivation for wanting to own Bitcoin. Okay, so that, that's, that's wonderful. So now we can start. It's taken
2: us 10, 15 minutes, but now we can, we can get going. Um, to quote you, Vijay, the world needs a reserve currency. Uh, and not just any reserve currency because of course it does have one, it's called the dollar. But you, you there you are, new kid on the block. Um and you're lusting kind of after an old world where we had the sovereignty of gold. And when I listen to you, you, you seem to be suggesting that we can we can create a new Jerusalem. We can have a, a gold like structure um, that that doesn't suffer from the the weakness of gold and and as i understand it, i think you didn't mention one of them you mentioned the uh, uh, the ease of transfer across borders um and and you mentioned portability so gold has a weight portability issue um an issue which uh, can be corrected for if you try if you transfer it into diamonds but that's that's another conversation That's that's another alternative asset that would uh, reflect the demand um, the demand under duress that perhaps you were giving examples of um, but of course as I understand it um, the, the Bitcoin engineering has solved the problem in terms of um, finite supply and the, this kind of the allure of the fact that there will be only 21 million um, coins ever produced um, and it, I still call it allure or a promise I, I still struggle to make that to to use harder, more substantive language, but we can return to that. And as I understand it, um, the supply of gold with levels, kind of average levels of mining, gold and and the supply of gold found or discoveries will probably double over the course of the the next 70 years. So um, Bitcoin has been engineered to be more finite than gold. Um, However, however, Um, I want to come back as a reserve currency. You do not want a finite reserve currency. You do not want something which is brittle, because it breaks the world. The the, the horror story of the 1930s was that we couldn't expand the money supply, that we were stuck to the... It was just simply preposterous. I'm just paying my bill, (laughs) hold on a second. The, yeah, the the absurdity of the economic expansion could only be um, controlled or um, allowed to improve via the ability to discover um, gold, because otherwise it was it just wasn't expanding. Therefore, if you go to a world, if you presume, I have to now, I've now forgotten my uh, code for my credit card. Uh, uh, don't, don't. You see, we do everything on Livecast, yeah. um, The, this almost this promise, so something which you can't expand is something which fills me with horror in terms of a reserve currency, because I can envisage a world of further, further economic miracles, further inventions, you know, I, I am long humankind, the, the, the spirit of humankind that creates things and I want a reserve currency which will not hold it back, but will push it and say, hey, go for it. And so again, just to kind of, because people will say, what is that guy talking about? So let me try just a little bit of detail. We are presently on the verges of something which feels like a depression. And it's a very rare set of circumstances where there's over like a decade, God forbid, two decades, um, and that's almost the case in Japan it's, there's no economic growth. There is not enough economic growth um, to lift everyone in the system. Thankfully, you could live for 200, You could have lived the last two hundred years, and you could have um, evaded such a, 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 an occurrence because they're rare. And, and I want to say maybe maybe four such occurrences. Uh, they first started back in around about 1820, around right about that period where. Um, of the the French the what I want to say you know the Le um, is a time when people were losing their jobs people were going hungry and it wasn't because of crop failure and it wasn't because you had some looney tune like sov uh, like king who'd invaded Russia it was something mysterious and what it was was it was the the first of these, economic, these harsh economic cycles unfolding. And it was a mystery at first. And that um, economic depression and the first of that economic depression, it was largely resolved by the discovery of Californian gold, which allowed the authorities to expand the money supply and accommodate more commerce. And the same thing happened around right about the 1870s. Same, I mean, the, the spark back, if you will, the spark in the 1820s, 1830s had been British bank lending to sovereign, quasi-sovereign nations in South America, and they didn't repay, and, and British banks pulled back all their credits back to the centre, which was London. The same thing happened in the 70s when 1870s when you had a cascading default in the financing of, um, of uh, rail bonds across the continent of America. And it was a long, it was two decades of almost like kind of like really, really hard to, to, to get traction in terms of GDP growth uh, and the, saving, the savings that, that we got out of it because we discovered this technology of acid leaching, which enabled us to bring you know the, the huge South African gold deposits on stream. So again, we could increase the money supply. So that's my problem. If you go to a world with Bitcoin. And the bitcoin today is priced as it is because of the allure of the 21 million being finite forever i don't want to touch it as a reserve currency i've said too much apologies
1: <laughs> bj so with all respect to Hugh, I, I kind of reject the premise that uh the gold standard was and this isn't just Hugh. this is sort of widely believed in, amongst the economic ex- establishment that uh, the great depression was caused by the gold standard and the inflexibility of the gold standard and the in- inability to inflate the monetary supply I, I view the the collapse in 1930 as more sort of a follow-on consequence of the the um the, the great war and the mismanagement of economies by governments across the world the expansion of their money supply which was not sustainable that like you, you can't just continue to inflate your money supply and not expect a collapse to happen. I think the, the fundamental problem is not with a fixed supply uh, reserve currency. The, the problem is really with the fractionalization on top of that and the, the expansion of credit on top of that, which then causes the bust, the ultimate bust. So I I, I reject the premise. I, I think if you look today at our Modern economy: the, the parts of the economy where you see the steepest deflation are the ones where you have the most productivity. It's the tech sector uh, where prices are constantly falling, where you see uh, innovation um, and uh, really Im- improvements in the quality of the the goods that are being produced for for, for people. It's the the sectors where you do see inflation, where uh, inflation in prices where the the quality of the goods that are being produced is honestly declining steadily like the the quality of education in the US or the quality of the healthcare these are areas where you see inflation and where the quality is going down so uh, with all respect i reject this belief that the economic establishment has pushed forward and really it's been it's been pushed forward since the 1930s uh the governments have a role in inflating the money to money supply to keep the economy going forward it's a it's a keynesian ideology and i just i think it's completely wrong
2: okay so um okay well well done you um but you know as you seek to correct me um you you mentioned you know the problem of the 20s was the expansion of credit no it was the expansion of credit In the U.S., um, because the inverse was the problem in the rest of the world. So, unless you were running a trade surplus and attracting the cap gold, um, which was high-powered money into your banking system, if if it wasn't coming in, your banks were unable to provide credit uh, to the commercial sector, Um, and so you would have to raise interest rates to try and encourage. Um, capital flow towards you, and so what well, all the nineteen twenties became grotesque. In that the rest of the world went down, and the U.S. kind of went 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 up because all of all of the gold went back to the center. Gold, gold is gold. Sorry, gold or gold as a form of money. Money is is greedy and without morals. It just goes to it seeks to replicate itself. It's like a selfish gene. It just wants to propagate itself, um, and so it didn't go looking to to help mankind recover uh, from the horrors of the First World War, it went to make a, a buck, and an easy buck. And the easiest buck was with the productivity explosion in the chemical sector and everything else across the, the U.S. economy. So um, I guess I could, you know, we we, we we could agree in a compromise that there was the credit expen- expansion um, on the U.S., which led to fragility. But again, I don't see, so let me push it back to you. So we, we take on this brave new world, God forbid, but we have uh, Bitcoin as the principal uh, non-sovereign reserve currency of the world. I mean, and as I say that, I kind of want to just go and hang myself. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so, so tell me about this brave new world and, and why it's better than, than today. And uh, you know, I'm offering you a kind of soft comparison because today seems to suck for a lot of people. So. There you go to why is that brave new world better than
1: yeah so- oh thanks for the question Hugh. i mean I, I i should say i agree with what you you said about oh, gold China. flowing you're banned from saying <laughs> that gold flowing uh from europe to the us in the 1920s but i think that was really that and gold, gold like you say is amoral it, it's capital moving to where it's treated best But I I view that as a reflection of the reality on the ground. What was the reality on the ground in the early 20s? Europe was in tatters. It was a wasteland and uh, the US was untouched. So capital is definitely going to flow to the US. I I don't view it as the the job of the government to come in and say that we should alter reality because I don't think you can alter reality. And and, the the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So I I don't think that's money's role. Um, Although having said that, one of the big motivating factors for me uh, and desire to have Bitcoin as a reserve currency is just looking at the history of central banks. Well, why were central banks created? Why was the Bank of England created? It was to—it was built to fund warfare, to provide loans to the government, to provide warfare, and that's to me one of the biggest moral fa- failings of central banking is the ability to fund warfare, uh, and and to do it through inflation, which is much more insidious. You can you're taxing essentially taxing the citizenry without them understanding or knowing what's happening. Uh, to fund the destruction of uh, capital in another country. Uh, and I'm totally morally opposed to that. Uh, t- under t- a system which is a finite fixed standard that cannot be inflated, governments who want to fund warfare have to fund that through taxation, and they have to go directly into people's pockets and say, we want to fund this and we're going to do it by taxing you uh, because they don't have they won't have the ability to to fund through a fixed supply uh monetary base they won't be able to inflate it um so that's to me one of the moral motivations for having a, a reserve currency that can't be inflated okay. and isn't controlled by any national government mm. so you know, before central banks um,
2: sovereigns um, were, were still debasing uh, coins so uh, the debasement and, and pulling vast ones on your citizens um kind of goes uh, goes well back before the invent of uh, central banks. Secondly, um, the, the, the modern warfare, to use a, con- uh, a contentious term, wasn't really funding wars. It was funding things like COVID, funding um, health systems, funding uh, social uh, transfers of wealth, um, funding a state that determines um, you know who's to be taxed and who's to be the beneficiary. Um, so it's it's more complicated but again if i come back to this tiresome 1920s thing because it's the last it was the last time it was the last nutty period of mankind when we had this stupid idea that putting this damn inert heavy gold bar at the core of the system this thing that you whose supply you just couldn't expand rapidly you know was a good idea you know it had its comeuppance in that period i i believe um and I want to say because the res- the recipients of the neg the negativity of that standard so the recipients the countries that were not receiving the inflows of gold had to contract they had to impose price deflation they had so the the route to becoming the the route to escaping poverty up until the demise of the gold standard was that you had to generate um, trade surpluses with your economic neighbours and competitors. And the principal cost of price within an economy, representing at least two-thirds of all costs or prices, tends to be that attributed to labour, which is to say salaries and wages. And so the awful, disfiguring thing about um, the gold standard was that it required price deflation or required the competitive um adjustment to the economy to be engineered by like people either losing the job or asking people to work the same for less and very famously the uk the uk ended up being the first to reject the system and i always can ask myself is that what we saw with brexit as well that the uk seems to be at the in the you know at the front of saying stick it to the man so to speak but the UK, in in uh, when it came, it, it was the threat that, and the real prospect of the British Navy. The British Navy came in from from a, a major exercise. They came into a um, uh, to port and they heard through telegram that their wages were to be cut by I don't know, something absurd, by fifteen to twenty percent. And the sailors went, "Screw this! I'm fed up." is you know and there was a big standoff and they refused to take the fleet back out and when that reached London because of course it was by telegrams so it wasn't email and it took a little while there was a big run on sterling and that's what led to when you didn't when when the psychology goes against you you don't have a system so not necessarily central banks that the problem with a finite system is you've got to go looking for adjustments in your economy with adjustments which fracture and break the social cohesion of our society and can lead us on the path to fascism. That's what I take. And I think that's why we've not been qu- quick to kind of go back to the, that, uh, that world and adopt these fixed finite supplies as reserve currencies.
0: Yeah, Hugh, let me ask you a question here. Um, you know, because I think my view is that humans throughout our history have been, you know, on this journey of trying to find a money that was increasingly resistant to arbitrary supply increases. And that's kind of one of the reasons why we wound up with gold. And so, you know, I would say that supply elasticity of money is actually a bug, not a feature, though it's become it's come to be understood as a feature because it can be manipulated. But therein lies the problem. The door is left ajar for people to come in and manipulate it. And as a result of that, they can distort what I think is the primary purpose of money is to reflect the individual demand and will of the holder and how they allocate it. So uh, allowing the supply of money to be managed, as it were, allows the the will, the demand of the individual to be concentrated elsewhere and to be used for whatever other aims. Now you said earlier, perhaps that's for healthcare. And maybe you could have an argument that that's a a good, although I would disagree, but it can also be used as Vijay uh, Vijay said for war. And I think we'd all agree that's bad. And I guess the fundamental question here is, I understand your argument. I think it's being seen, it's difficult to tease out individual aspects of the broader system that we have now as as it has been constructed on a fiat standard for so long. Um, but what is the the underlying issue of having a money that yes it would be deflationary, but it would reflect the the real circumstances of the individuals and the market actors in a given market. And you know should sh- should certain things befall that market or the, or those individuals, it should most closely represent the truth that's occurring in that market. Why, I guess the fundamental question is: Do you believe that it's always going to be necessary for there to be a level of control, i.e., manipulation over the money that a society uses. Can we not have a completely market-based and market-managed money?
2: Um, we can't. We can't, uh, because I think the the reality is uh, the life is is a form of of the matrix that, uh, for the majority, life sucks and it always has and it always will, and therefore we have to. <laughs> create um, artificial paradises um, and, and we need the artifice of fiat money to do so that, um, you know, it's rather, I'd rather keep um, the the broads, I'd rather keep the majority, remember, we, we live under the tyranny of the majority and if, and, and if keeping them at bay requires, um, and believe me, I think it does require a fiat, which is to say an infinitely expandable currency then so be it so my point turning back to you is so let's say there is this and 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 i don't disagree with this there is an inherent flaw in the dollar as the reserve currency it's not that we give it because Vijay was saying this exorbitant privilege it has no exorbitant privilege that's just chinese and russian propaganda um and i'll expand upon that um in another lifetime um but um, you know the, the money supply has expanded because we've had wars starting starting by a continuum from from uh, the vietnam war to iraq to god knows what to the russians in Crimea. crimea uh, they don't get off um and we had inflation and you know I, I mentioned that the gold supply may may double over 70 years that's just two percent growth per annum so you know it, over the world, it's a big deal but my point is If I'm a kind of intelligent, savvy person, I still don't see what Bitcoin... I I do see what it brings to me. um, But it's one of many things which are available. So um, if I have been successful in generating um, capital, wealth, and lots of it, or just a little bit, but you know, something is precious and I want to preserve, then the system that we have today, like I say, it's okay. Like, so if there's a great fear that we're going to have hyperinflation, if I look, let me just talk personally. I'm, I'm on this tiny little island. It's one of like five locations in the world that the really, really, really rich people want to be. They want to be here because it's wonderful. right? Um, and it's like a Bitcoin mine. They're not making another island like this. right? What's here is here. The house that I built in 2012, The planning permission has got stricter and stricter. You'd never be able to build that. So it's almost like a reverse engineering the supply is getting tighter and tighter. What's more, I can borrow money from banks at the wrong price. I can fix it for 20 years. And effectively, I can uh, create a transfer of wealth from the shareholders of that bank to me. And I can buy gold. I can put my money in the stock market. I could buy variant swaps. I could go out there and I could buy a fifty thousand call option on on the S and P over the next twenty years, and if and the price of that the price of that call option will be wrong. It will be way, way, way too cheap, and if it ever strikes, the U.S. government will guarantee it because I bought it one in exchange. So, why do I want to change the system?
0: E.J.
1: Well, I think we're moving to a future where people are gonna start acting and thinking more like global citizens. I mean, look at Hugh, he's, he's in St. Bart's and John, you're a Canadian who lives in Thailand, I'm an Australian who, who lives in America and people are gonna to wanna to move to where their capital is treated the best. And Hugh mentioned you know, some assets and using call options, but which of these assets is not a liability of some third party that you have to trust? Uh, they they all are except Bitcoin. Well, gold is too, but gold is a real pain in the butt to move. And if you want to if you want to take your capital to another place, and I think in the future people are going to think like this. Well, I I don't like being in the U.S. anymore. I'm going to move somewhere else. What if what if governments become stricter about this and and impose capital controls? And they certainly have in various countries around the world. Even in the U.S., if you look at it closely. We have these sort of de facto capital controls it's very difficult to leave the us without uncle sam taking a big cut of your savings um so i think we're moving to a digital world a one in which people will want to move where they're treated the best and they won't have an affiliation to any particular nation state uh and it'll be a world where people want something like bitcoin so that they could move without uh their their savings being Uh, eroded or confiscated. And, you know, we're talking a little bit about um, Hugh's fears about Bitcoin becoming a reserve currency. That's fine. It's legitimate to have some concerns, but I almost view this as inevitable because central banks right now are are charting this very perilous course between Scylla and Charybdis. And on the one hand, you have hyperinflation and the destruction of the currency. And on the other hand, you have hyperdeflation, which is uh, the destruction of the economy and social unrest. Uh, and, and lurking below the surface is Bitcoin that's ready to devour the whole rotten system. Uh, so I, I, I sort of view this as inevitable. The policies and the course that have been chosen by central banks are leading to this inevitable denouement. And uh, so whether you're afraid of it or you're excited about it, I think it's going to happen. So you have to deal with it.
2: OK, so, so again, OK, so again, good. Um, so I, I've spent a lot of time not coming back to you on a point which I find um, I, I don't have a comfort level uh, with one of the supposed advantages of Bitcoin is its portability. So it's not supposed. Um, clearly, that is an advantage is portable. Like you say, you could you know, just hop on a plane anywhere um but it's it's not perfect it's not a trillion dollars of infallibility you know um and and there'll be a there'll be a good answer to this I'm sure but and I'm sure you'll find it but let me put it back to you but um with societies and, and some of these exotic places I mean Thailand I mean I was in Thailand when do I want to say would it be 2012 when the riots went off I was I was in Bangkok, when an explosion went off, when you know, all hell was being unleashed. But and closer, closer, well not closer to home, but closer to today's days. You know the events in Myanmar, Minam, probably pronouncing it in a grotesque manner. Um, But what's the first thing that the state does? It, It it kills the Wi-Fi. It takes the internet system down. Yeah, and and so there maybe this is a very ignorant point, but in terms of, you know, you want to encourage me to, to put uh, how much of my, my wealth into this asset, you know, probably right now, it should be one or 2% of my, my wealth. Uh, but even then, I'm thinking, but in adversity, you know, with no Wi-Fi, I kind of feel a little bit naked. So come back to me on that. And then I want to come back to you on uh, the insanity or rather, the lack of, with regard to the present generation of central banks.
1: Yeah, certainly, that's a, a very valid concern. If you, you're living in a in a nation where the government can shut off the internet, then it may not be useful for transacting in the moment. But I like to I, I like to think of the historical case of, of uh, Europe during World War II, when you had you know tens of thousands of Jews fleeing in front of the Nazis, trying to get it, get out and trying to get to the U.S. And I think in particular of the great Austrian economist Ludwig von Mises, who was very well regarded in Europe. It uh, was a famous professor in Vienna and he get got to America and he had absolutely no savings whatsoever. And he had to rebuild his life and he could barely get an assistant professor professorship at a second tier university. So uh, it was a real fall in his standard of living. Now, if he had been able if he had something like Bitcoin, maybe he wasn't wouldn't have been able to transact with it and buy bread or whatever because the governments had shut down the internet in Europe. but he would have something that was liquid and valuable when he got to his final destination. So I think you have a valid point there. Hugh, you could be in a place perhaps like India where they they're talking about banning Bitcoin. But if you have savings in Bitcoin, you can go somewhere else where it is it is valued, which is most of the rest of the world. It's one of the, the deepest, most liquid markets on Earth now that tens of billions of dollars of Bitcoin are traded per day. Uh, so it's it's valued all over the place. Uh, but I agree with you that to the, the limited extent, if you're stuck somewhere where the government is antagonistic and is willing to shut down the entire Internet and the consequences that come with that, um, then it, it may be difficult to transact in Bitcoin. Mitigating that a little bit is that people have set up uh, satellite communication so that you can receive and transact on the Bitcoin network, even if you don't have an internet connection, if you have just a satellite connection. Yeah.
0: And- yeah but Hugh, before you, you jump in with uh, what VJ was saying about the rotten system, you know, it's, I think, because you asked the question, you know, I have all these different investment choices. Why would I choose to invest in Bitcoin? And I think part of the reason, part of the answer to that question is kind of along the lines of what I was saying before. I mean, a lot of people are waking up to the detrimental effects of somebody being able to surreptitiously influence, confiscate, steal, debase, however we want to characterize it, the value of their savings, you know, their stored effort, their stored work and time. And they also are beginning to realize, and you know, education is such a huge part of being in the investment space generally. But certainly, it's you know, when Bitcoiners uh, they go down that rabbit hole, they tend to educate themselves on a broad array of subjects. Um, they begin to see the effects that that a, a, a system predicated on a money that can be manipulated in that way, what it nets. And so, when they look at out on the world and they see the social issues they see the economic issues they see you know vj was talking about war previously they begin to realize i think but you could argue rightly or wrongly that much of this is a result of the ability of the people that manage the money to be able to man- manage it in their favor and so the world that they see is largely a result of of that and they don't believe that's fair and they want to they want to take back control over the money. They want it to be a true reflection of their own sovereignty. And so they don't want someone to be able to debase their their savings in the way that's been done. And they don't want to, someone to be able to reallocate their savings to ends that are not consistent with what they want. And so this is a as much a political movement as it is an investment, you know, decision for anybody. And that's why, you find people so passionate in this space because it's not just about getting rich. I mean, as you said, look, I mean, I'm not saying it's easy, but you work hard, you, you educate yourself, you play your cards right, you you can probably you know, make some money in this world. It's, it's much deeper than that. It's about constructing a system that is far more fair and that allows for a far greater degree of sovereignty. And that's kind of why I asked the question and, and your answer was interesting when I, I said, do you think the money supply needs to be able to be managed And you said, yes, because, you know, we need to be able to manage humanity. And I think there's a fundamental difference there. You know, I I have an underlying faith in humanity, and I want every individual to be able to express their will with the utmost fidelity. And that means as they act in the market with an an incorruptible money that, that most, you know, with the highest degree of fidelity reflects their will. And what world we get as a result of that, I'm willing to accept as long as it's fair and this and it's the same rules for everybody. And I get the sense that perhaps we're not on the same page there. So I'll turn it over to you now for a response. Can you feel our zeal, Hugh? Can you
1: feel the zeal in our voice? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm like, what age are you guys? I feel like I'm
2: talking, I mean, with the greatest respect to both parties, in case he's listening, I feel like I'm talking to my 18-year-old son. I mean, let me come up with... I, 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 I mean, I keep forgetting that this is live. I feel like I'm having a shower and I'm touching, but anyway. The um, <laughs> so let me let me go go public. I voted for the Socialist Labour Party. The the first election I was able to participate in in the United Kingdom. I was in Scotland at university. I must have been seventeen or eighteen. I'm not quite sure. Um, I was a socialist, stick it to the man. I wanted all of our decisions to be noble. I wanted us all to join hands and sing kumai gumi, whatever, you know. Um, now I'm older and perhaps less wise, but certainly I gave that. I gave that nonsense of a long time ago. But you and do you know but do you know what? Because in the aftertake I had a 20 minute uh, live cast with Raul Paul from Real Vision and, and we were talking afterwards and it's always the best things are always afterwards or before. Um but his forthcoming um, macro paper that he writes, um, the bugger—he's going to start talking about what is my favourite investment, and you're going to love it. And I don't really think I can mention it just now, but it is actually—it there is an asset class today. I'm, I'm going to leave—I I can't do—set it. it up for, for 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 him, but there is an asset class coming at you, which uh, actually the more that it goes up. The more that it will change the world for for good reason in a manner which is not obvious with regard to bitcoin so there's something which exists today it's hard to buy the futures are really hard to buy i mean as a person personally you've got to put up about forty thousand 000 of, of margin for it Um,
0: just just tell us what it is come on i
2: can't i can't sorry so i'm going to talk about something else i'm going to talk about the conscious temper of autocrats so all you lovers oh you oh you know mankind is so noble if only we were just less beastly i'm going to remind you of the conscious temper of damn autocrats and when they're slashing wi-fi and when you're going through um when you're going through customs uh, trying to get out of nazi germany to get into the us the modern equivalent whatever that is and they they hose you down for your what would you call it is it a closed wallet when you've you've taken your coins offline and you you've saved them on your on your usb stick is that a closed wallet a hardware wallet hardware wallet and you're there, and they'll probably have in the airports they'll have screens trying to pick up the, the hard wallet going to be all over you there you are under
0: irrelevant hugh irrelevant that point really yeah next that that that's not a anyone who's serious about traveling with their bitcoin intact that's not that's not a relevant uh issue so next next critique
2: the the autocrats i tell you well okay so the article so i tell you the problem with the reserve currency the problem with that is again some autocrat uh someone with without a benign influence will buy, and it happens today, the corruption of the dollar reserve currency today is um, the gerrymandering of the system by mercantilist nations, namely, uh, well, most notably the the Chinese, which is that they control, um, the the economic landscape dictates that their currency should rise to reflect what they still have is a, a competitive advantage against, the United States. And that should be bid away by the currency market uh, pushing the the yuan, the one dollar one rate uh, in terms of making it more uh, expensive for Americans to buy Chinese products. And that rise is tempered or slowed by the purchase and the accumulation of huge, huge amounts of treasury bonds. And what I'd like to say is that I fear that the equivalent of that in, in the kind of brave new world that you envisage is that those and they're they're i mean china's a fascist nation i'm going to say it um the the danger with that system is the fascist sovereign will accumulate bitcoins and of course it's a moot point it's a it's a question where you don't have a definite answer what happens if someone controls more than 50 percent of the output of the stock
0: i want to i want to hand this over is a a fascist nation i want to hand this over to Vijay in a sec but i just want to clarify this Ain't no kumbaya shit. All right. This is about the rules of the game being fair for everybody. And we accept the outcome of what happens as a result. Nobody in Bitcoin thinks it's, it's well, I mean, I think we all believe that on a sound money standard, there'll be a type of renaissance, but it's not saying that everyone's going to be treated the same or equitably or fairly. It's just that everyone will be playing by the same rules. And then it's sink or swim on your own merit. And that's what we're all here for. BJ, I pass it over to you.
1: Yeah, I I share Hugh's concern about uh, dictatorships uh, sort of being part of the monetization of Bitcoin and accumulating Bitcoin in their fascist nations or dictatorships like North Korea. Uh, and and I, I think they will. I think there'll be this is actually a big worry of mine is that it'll be dictatorships, which will be the first nations to add Bitcoin to their reserves because they are the ones who are sort of existing outside of the US financial system, uh, which is uh, really the global financial system is the US financial system. Uh, And I I wanna give an example here. If you you look at Venezuela, the the dictator in Venezuela, I've forgotten his name, but they attempted to repatriate their gold from from the Bank of England, which was custodying their gold for them. And the Bank of England said, no, we're not sending Venezuela's gold back to Venezuela. So I think it'll it, it's going to become increasingly obvious to some of these tin pot dictatorships that if they want to keep savings in a, a global, deeply liquid uh, store of value, then Bitcoin is f- far to be preferred than gold. So I think they are going to be part of the monetization of gold. Um there's one other thing that I wanted to bring up that we haven't talked about. I, I just think we have a, a, a perfect macro setup right now for a speculative attack on various fiat currencies, including the dollar. And you can already see this happening. Uh, th- there's a company called MicroStrategy. I don't know if uh, Hugh is aware of them, but they're borrowing at 0%, hundreds of millions of dollars, with the express purpose of buying Bitcoin with that and and the bond market is funding them. So if, if this sort of picks up pace and more companies follow, follow suit, uh, uh, Tesla just bought $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin. But if companies start figuring out that they can borrow at 0% and buy an asset, which is appreciating 200% per year on average over the last decade, you're going to get a speculative attack on, on the dollar. It's, it's unclear. If that's going to happen in the near future, but we have a perfect setup for something like that to happen.
2: No, you. No. I'd you. love to hear
1: Hughes. I'd love to hear Hugh's thoughts on that. No, you.
2: No, you don't. That's just being, being silly. So, eh, uh, <sighs> un- unless you're Danish, you ain't borrowing at zero. Um, you either have a amortization, or you have a collateral risk in that you might go, um interest rate only but even your interest rate you know i'm i'm borrowing 20 year fixed at two percent i know people who are fixed at 1.3 um if you're a what's deemed to be a risk-free entity in the united states a very safe business you'll certainly be able to borrow five ten year money with a two handle but you know not a zero handle Uh, and then you have the collateral risk tesla's You know, and Elon, you know, it's it's the circus. He's the he's the ringmaster. He's wonderful. I love him for it. Um, But that's not real world. You know, it's not real world where a corporate treasurer is going to have a billion dollars in something where I would attribute a very high probability that um, Bitcoin could have a 50 percent drawdown in the next 18 months without it negating um, the merits of the system. It's just the nature of markets. I mean, how many times has Tesla had a fifty percent drawdown? How many times did we see thirty-five percent plus drawdowns in that great arc where the uh, Nasdaq went to, went to five thousand in the last three years? Stocks, which probably went up tenfold, periodically dropped between thirty-five and sixty percent to shake you out. So Bitcoin, I don't think, will be any different. So the the, the thing about Bitcoin is is very hard to create. It's very hard to create the reflexivity that people talk about where people are compelled to buy just because it's going up. Because that really lends itself to the the dumb world of these passive investors in equities where, you know, again, I get no issue, I've never been short Tesla. You know, it's fantastic fun to watch from the sidelines, which is where I am. Um, But it went up, what, eight, tenfold last year? I mean, some absurd... I say it's an absurd notion because you would have thought that the sum of all of our knowledge at the beginning of the previous year would have been reflected in the price, and yet somehow it wasn't. And that thing that wasn't reflected, of course, was as it got bigger, then there are huge uh, stocks of money which are compelled to buy it without reason. And that creates a reflexive flow which creates these astonishing arcs into the heavens. I don't see that. I don't see that with bitcoin but what i do see and what i want to come back with a question to you guys is what i see is a kind of robbing peter to to pay paul in that of late the relationship has has turned around within the alternative sphere whereby it seems that the the rise and rise of bitcoin is it's not being fueled um, but there's definitely a casualty which is gold and gold is has the, the correlation is just blown and and the question i have is if you look at the bitcoin to gold um uh, ratio it kind of traded stably around about five times and then blew out to 17 and now it's like heading to, to 30. has anyone thought about where you know where the, where that should trade and and what what that's telling us
1: yeah so i've written about this a little bit and uh it's interesting to me because bitcoin and gold are sort of close cousins as financial assets they both have p- properties that make them good as money but the ownership distribution of gold and, and bitcoin is very very different if you look at the ownership distribution of gold it's one largely central banks which hold bars of gold in their vaults number two is people own owning gold jewelry and there's a lot of this in india in the middle east and number three you know the family offices around world which own some allocation to gold as as an investment. Um, uh, Whereas Bitcoin, if you look at the ownership distribution, it's largely people who are much younger, uh, people who are technologically savvy, millennials, uh, and um, computer scientists, people who got in early still hold a large fraction of the Bitcoin. Uh, So the ownership distribution is very, very different. Um, but I think in this cycle, we are already starting to see demand for, these are both non-sovereign stores of value. We're seeing demand shifting from gold over to Bitcoin. And you would expect in this environment, gold would be doing amazing, neg- you know, negative interest rates across the globe. This is the perfect macro setup for gold. But gold really has stalled. It's, it's just stuck and 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 i think that's because we're starting to see demand especially from family offices shifting over to bitcoin and you you'll hear stories of family offices who are starting to increase their allocation to bitcoin probably at the expense of gold because they sort of sit in the same category uh so you talked about this correlation breaking that's where i think that's happening we're probably not going to see demand from the other two sources for gold sources of demand for gold shift over to Bitcoin yet, or at least for a long time. Central banks and the jewelry demands obviously not going to shift over. Um, but family offices and the investment demand for gold, I think, is going to shift to Bitcoin during this market cycle.
0: Yeah, my, my take on it, well, to, I want to give my take on gold, but I, I do want to say that I don't think we can leave out the um, the conversation about governments and and basically authoritarian governments and Bitcoin. And I think both the points you made um, are accurate. But without stating that right now with fiat currency, they get to siphon off the productive capacity and wealth of their population in perpetuity to fund whatever you know evil they they get up to. Whereas with Bitcoin, sure, I mean, they have a printing press in the basement right now. Why would you not accumulate you know the hardest money we've ever seen that seems to be emerging on the world and do with it as you will in the future? But I would rather take the latter than the former because one is an advantage that diminishes over time, and one is one that's held in perpetuity. But in terms of the gold um, question, uh, and I know that this w- may upset the gold bugs, and uh, we we shall see how it plays out. But I think Hugh, you're right in that we're starting to see a divergence. And I even think, you know, of course, around 2007, 2008, all the gold bugs came out of the woodwork and they said, "This is our time, baby." You know, all this QE, all everything that was going on. This is when gold steps in to save the world and after a, a short bump right after the the financial crisis you know we're basically at uh, where gold was in in what 2011 or something like that and so over the last 10 years and all the money printing and all the debt and everything we we haven't seen much action in gold and uh what i think is going to happen as you know when cars emerged horses were 5000 10000 years the the mode of transportation uh and then they weren't after a very short coexistence and um you know uh blockbuster and netflix same thing a a very short coexistence and then all the all the capital all the interest all the all the consumers went to the 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 upgrade the better version of what they were trying to do with horses there it was about transportation and the cars once the infrastructure of roads etc was built out they could do that better and so people shifted to that and as much as gold has been around for five thousand, you know fill in the blank number of years uh, I think we're seeing it on its last legs. I think that started at the end of the financial crisis. The last decade should have been very robust for gold. Now, I know we had robust equity markets as well, and that would, that would temper it. But I still think there should have been a little bit more generalized demand for gold. And I think what we're seeing right now is the, the brief period of coexistence where people that want to store value in an immutable, non-sovereign asset over time uh, are, are increasingly going toward Bitcoin, not least because there's so much less friction in doing so. I mean, I can pick up my phone right now and, and buy Bitcoin. With gold, you've, it's very difficult to acquire. You've got to custody it. It's difficult to sell it and all that kind of stuff. So as, as much of an affront to the gold bugs as this may, see, may sound, I think we see gold largely demonetized as a monetary metal over the next 20 years and it assume its rightful place as an industrial metal. And, uh, Hugh, I'll, I'll pass it over to you now. Could, could we just have a moment of silence for Peter Schiff and, <laughs> uh,
1: and, the, and the suffering that he must be enduring right now? Everyone in the chat as well, just take a moment. This is a tough time for him.
0: That it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse.
1: He should suffer.
0: Uh,
2: I agree. <laughs> he has done more to destroy the image of the financial, the community that wants to talk sensible, cool things. And then you get, have he's been on Joe Rogan? I mean, that's just all wrong.
0: It, all it, wrong. Is. it really is. Anyway, good luck to
2: him. I mean, you know <laughs> he's one of those morons that goes to Puerto Rico to, to pay no tax. Jesus. You know, like Puerto Rico, I mean, great people, but you never, you the fact that you choose to live there to cut your taxes
0: Good. I mean, just another another planet. But back to the. I, um, I asked. I was on a clubhouse with Peter Schiff a couple of nights ago, and he he was. They were hosting him, and I, and I was called up to the stage and asked him the question, "What would it take for you to treat the person you're speaking to as though they might know something that you don't?" And he said, <laughs> "Yeah, but what what do they know that I don't?" <laughs> so um, let's let's move. Swiftly yeah, so on. Let's move on. Back to. On to you,
2: here. Back no. Back to to the Cub Scout leader. <laughs> your your noble oblige, oblige nobleness for mankind. Uh, I mean, so let, I mean, given we're on, uh, given we're being silly, uh, let let me put a silly question to you: um, Is you know one of these despicable fascist nations? being able to accumulate a lot of Bitcoin and therefore creating, if you will, a robustness with regard to its financing such that it wouldn't be subject to the the hectoring and the explicit manipulation of of do good sovereigns like the US is that the equivalent of allowing Iran
1: to have nuclear weapons. It's a good I think that's a great question because. I think what's going to happen at least if you buy into my belief that bitcoin is going to become a global reserve currency is some nations are going to leapfrog other nations in their financial position uh, if you believe that bitcoin is going to be monetized and you're a nation state such as north Korea, and you accumulate a large amount of bitcoin your financial position is going to leapfrog you a, a, a ahead of a whole bunch of countries which uh, much more civilized than you, uh, have much better governments than you and much less oppressive than you. So that's a concern for me. Uh, but like you say, money in a, in a sense is amoral. People's capital and their savings is going to flow to the money that uh, where their savings is treated best. And I think that's Bitcoin. Uh, how the world deals with that, I think is an open question and a really good question. So then back back to the, the more kind of... Um the the more
2: relevant and serious issue with regard to the what has been the dominance of gold as a reserve currency and you know we're we're talking about it being I, I'm saying thirteen trillion dollars is it thirteen is it ten but it's mm-hmm. it's it's several apples in terms of apples it was the first trillion dollar company and uh, and it was the sec it was the first two trillion dollar company I think Apple today is about two two point three trillion dollars and and gold is at least five apples I like to use the Newtonian Measurement system of calibrating the size of markets. Uh, the U.S. Treasury market is is more. Um, it is ten apples. I, well, an apple for me is a trillion. So the Treasury market is um, twenty to twenty-five um, apples. Anyway, I would say to you that the um, the performance of gold, um, like you say, we're kind of hopping a skip, not too far away from where it flared out to after the we're all going to create Zimbabwe dollars in the United States fear. You know, that, that didn't come through uh, because we are in this kind of mild deflationary or depressionary world. Um, and so gold hasn't worked because all of the points you made earlier about central banks, about these crazy central banks, and indeed, if we return to the, the premise where we started, where we started off with this conversation was me getting so angry about the notion that the rise of, of Bitcoin was very much a reflection of the, the rise of Bitcoin was a reflection of the demise of, of the US. And it's this notion that the central banks are printing all this money and, and the world's gone crazy and it's gone crazy on their watch. And it doesn't wash. The performance of gold is telling you it doesn't wash. They've actually, they failed. They've failed in their principal mandate, which is to create inflation. And not a lot of inflation. They failed to register on average 2% inflation. I mean, the the Japanese government for 20 years has taken spending from like zero to 2.6, 2.8 times the size of its economy. And it's just, it owns everything. almost owns the entire stock market. It owns the entire bond market. And it has failed to generate inflation. And likewise, we've had, you know, the biggest con in the world is quantitative easing. It's not printing money, all right? And so gold is reflecting that lie. So I would say to you, the principle, the principal allures of, of Bitcoin are clearly the, I like that phrase of personal sovereignty. I like that, you know, you're, you're in control. Um, but people, I want to say, are bidding it higher and higher because of the, the allure of 21 million finite supply in a world where we're being brainwashed that the public bureaucrats are, have gone crazy and it's Weimar. To date, that is not true. And and, and I whilst I think Treasury... Bond yields. Let me give you a prediction. I think Treasury, U.S. Treasury bond yields will probably go to 2.2, 2.3, maybe 2.5 percent, and I think they'll that will cause immense. I don't think it will crack markets. Certainly not initially, but I think it will cause lots of people who understand the deflationary world it will cause them to sell, um, and it's going to go there because of this. We're having we're going to have this mother of all mini. It would be. It's just the wrong word to call it, Mini. we're going to have a boom being released from just the, we've had a war, we've had a social war the last two years, and it's going to be resolved hopefully very soon. And people are going to party like it's 1919, not 99, but when we came, when we survived the the Spanish flu. Um, you know, I wrote about uranium and, you know, uh, I would be buying uranium before Bitcoin today, not uranium, but uranium mining stocks. But that's just where we are um, in terms of the progression of 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 bull markets, um, and one of the absurdities of, of uranium is that the largest mine in the world. Forty percent, forty percent of production is closed. Partly that's strategic; the, the price didn't merit mining, and partly it's because of COVID. You know, so that this price explosions, and I think Treasuries are going to pick up the wrong price. But so if I'm right, and the next ten years prove to be a rerun of the last, and and Central banks for all their talk of hey, "we're printing money," we, you know, we're we're printing, we're printing. If that fails, or if it translates again into just a big lie, don't you get worried about um, Bitcoin being a little bit elevated? Bitcoin and gold, and all other alternative assets being caught out and being elevated.
1: I, I agree with you that. Quantitative easing is not per se inflationary. I mean, when they so when the Federal Reserve increased reserves in the banking system, that's not inflationary unless, unless the banks lend that out. But I, I think what's what we've seen over the last year is something which is much more akin to a helicopter drop, as Ben Bernanke called it, with the COVID stimulus. This is money that's getting put in the pockets of consumers and being spent. And if you look at the sort of day trading culture that's arisen in the US with people having accounts on Robinhood, uh, There are people who are receiving these $2,000 stimulus checks and just throwing it straight into Bitcoin or Tesla. Uh, this is definitely different to the quantitative easing of 2008. This policy is much more inflationary. These stimulus checks that are being injected into the economy. Uh, so while I, I agree with you that the 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 policy that's been pursued over the last few decades, especially in places like Japan, is not necessarily inflationary. I think we, we've entered a new era.
0: But the, I also, yeah. I, I'll just chime in on that for a second. I think um, the inflation issue is definitely part of the reason we've seen this jump into Bitcoin. And, and Hugh, I'm willing to concede that if that seems to be more tempered, then maybe we'll see outflows or maybe it'll calm down a bit. But I think one, you know, more, it's not that people think, especially these Robinhood investors, it's not that they necessarily think that their money is gonna be worthless tomorrow. One, it's, you know, and we didn't really talk about this yet, but one of the outcomes, one of the results of central banking and fiat currency is uh, what I think is a dramatic, uh, ever widening inequality between the haves and the have nots. And I think a lot of people are starting to feel this, even if they don't consciously recognize all the different mechanics of it. Um, and the idea of having a self-sovereign, immutable, non-manipulatable, non-inflationary currency uh, is 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 appealing to them because they re- they see home prices with a lot more than just 2% a year inflation. And they see the cost of education with a lot more than just 2% inflation. I mean, There's a lot of inflation out there uh, if you care to look and not trust, you know, the Fed's or or the government's numbers on that. And I think people have been feeling that for a long time. And I think they're starting to desire something that has the attributes that Bitcoin has. So, yes, there's I think there's more exuberant demand right now because of this helicopter money, because of these all this perceived money printing that's going on, but I think the broader narrative outside of this year that's been going on for 12 years is that people realize that the system is unfair and that in certain ways it's broken and they are opting into a system that they believe is more fair. And to that extent, and I know not everyone treats it that way, there's still a ton of money held on ex- Bitcoin held on exchanges and a lot of people don't take custody and all of this kind of stuff. So I think we will see a lot of that volatility we've seen over the past 12 years as a result of that. But there's a cohort of people, you know, kind of holding the line, holding the floor that are doing this consciously because they're casting a vote for a fairer system, one that cannot be manipulated and one they believe is gonna net a better outcome than the vast inequality that we see today. So it, it's an inflation play for sure. And and as Vijay mentioned, the corporates that are now putting it on their balance sheet, I mean, we can only take them at their word. Michael Saylor has said, you know, he looked at his 500 million in cash and said, it's a melting ice cube because he believes the real inflation rate is is far higher than two percent. So he wanted to find a way to protect it. But I've talked to Michael, I've seen a lot of his stuff. I suspect it's more than just an or I know it's more than just an inflation play now. He sees this as the fundamental underpinning of a future financial system and a future global economy, and he's staking his territory early. And that's what. and he's become very vocal about his uh, you know the way he sees it. So it's definitely many factors involved, but it's I wouldn't say it's a pure Inflation play. And that's why I I don't think if inflation doesn't rip like we expect it to. Now, I think if we get the boom that you articulated, we'll probably see a lot more velocity of money and therefore a lot more inflation. But let's just say it doesn't take off like all the doomsayers are saying. I don't think that is all that detrimental to Bitcoin or Bitcoin's price or growth or adoption.
1: And the, I just want to echo that quickly before you get in here. I, I feel like this sense of inequity is, is strongest amongst young people, this, the the millennial generation, uh, who who senses and rightly so. They're going to be the first generation who don't have a higher standard of living than their parents, and that uh, they're seeing these assets race away from them. They can't afford to buy a house. The stock market is really expensive. All of these things. And they're, they're, you know, saddled with educational debt. These things are, are running away from them, and they don't, they don't feel like they have control. And one of the ways that they can get control is get into an asset which is is growing as quickly as Bitcoin is, and where they have an advantage, where they understand it, and and their parents' generation is going to be the laggards uh, in terms of uh, uh, final adoption. Yeah. Well, I, I think we should be
2: very conscious of the extravagant use of our time and and people listening in um i will try and be be short um because i think that this seems to be we'll shut it down in 10 if that works for you guys having listened to you the the thing that comes back all the time is this uh this nobel oblige let's let's do good let's make the system fairer um and i think again i want to say that is like me voting for the socialists when i was 17 or 18. And then you work out how the world operates, and you go because one of one of your comments was, um, "You hey, don't call me the kind of you know positive karma, yoga karma centric kind of you know, goofball." Um, <laughs> I want you, you, I want you to sink or swim on merit. Okay, well, um, the majority doesn't like that statement. The majority doesn't want to sink or swim on merit. Totally agree. The majority agree. says, "You know what." there ain't much merit in my life, and it's your fault. And um, who's to blame? Um, and and if I want you to do something about it, you know, I want you to take this, this currency and print it and give me a healthcare system. Yeah, you know, I want you to give me social transfers. And whatever, I want you to give me good infrastructure. I mean, and please give us good infrastructure. The list is, if not endless, it, it is long. And that's what our millennials or 17 year olds I think just now are ignoring because that's denied you. Right. So you're creating a system which will break. You're creating a system where people are adopting you saying, We're gonna be we're gonna be brothers together and we're gonna do good and then you're gonna do and the and people who've got Bitcoin and feel kind of rich and lived in a kind of gated community going, Yeah, sink or swim, motherfucker, you know? And the guys outside the gated community are like, I'm coming after you. Okay, so be careful with this noble ambition. I mean, it's back to the system we have. You know what? It sucks, but it ain't bad. I mean, I, I nearly, I, I, truth be told, I kind of destroyed my hedge fund career um, after the great heights I attained in, in 2008 because I took on that mantle. It's like, let's purge the system of its rottenness. I sat there for three years watching these idiots tell me nothing was going to go wrong. And then, boom, right? You were like 10 people in the world that kind of you know, made, made big profits from it, you know? I get rid of them. They're incompetent. Fire them. Send them to prison, okay? I was a hedge fund manager. What the dickens was I talking about? So the markets had corrected enormously. There was going to be a response. I should have been buying, buying, buying. And I wasn't. Poor on me. Really, really bad decision. And looking back on it now, you know what? If the cost of not having 25% adult unemployment in our towns and cities uh, across Europe and the United States, if the cost of that was, we had to put up with these grotesque bankers. And we had to put up with the fact that um, that Apple can be $2.3 trillion market capitalization, but at the same time, you'll find um, a heavy engineering stock will be trading at its 1986-87 price or that your property in downtown, some groovy part of LA will be has gone up 1050, or like Malibu property has gone up 15 fold in, in 10 years. But you know what, there'll be another part of the community where the prices haven't moved in 25 years. So the most contentious thing you can say, and it's gonna be, I think my last offering for this, is whilst the system kinda of sucks, I'd rather have a system that sucks than a system that just breaks into chaos.
0: Vijay, final comments?
1: I think Bitcoin's inevitable and uh, some people will not like it. C- certainly the establishment banking system is not gonna like it. You can continue to prop up the system, like you can continue to, to prevent a heroin addict going into withdrawal by giving them little bits of heroin over and over again. But eventually if you want them to survive, they have to go into withdrawal. And, uh, I think we need a new financial system, one that's much fairer. Uh, and I think, you know, unlike screaming it at talk show hosts or bankers or whatever it is, we have a chance. Now we have an asset, which allows people to be sovereign over their own savings. And you don't need to scream at anyone. You don't need to say we need to put the bankers in jail, just buy Bitcoin. It's much simpler.
0: Yeah. I, uh. I would echo that sentiment, obviously, of course I would, but I just think I, you know, I felt a lot of those sentiments Hugh, I wasn't the hedge fund manager, but I felt those sentiments as many people did. And they were saying, you know, fuck those guys. They, they fucked the system again. And we, we were the, you know, uh, what is it? Socialism for the rich. And, you know, uh, we all have to foot the bill or whatever that saying is. And we couldn't do anything about it. And Bitcoin has come along and, it's a, it's a solution where you don't have to convince anybody. You don't have to rage into the night. You don't have to, because that never works. That's never sustainable. You actually have a way to opt out now and protect your savings and uh, use them for whatever purposes you like and not have someone siphon them off, siphon them off and use them for their purposes. And look, transition quite likely could be difficult. You know, I think what's on the other end is worth it, but you're right. I mean, there's going to be people that are unhappy, but, you know, creating money out of thin air doesn't create wealth out of thin air. So just, you know, I I don't believe in using the reallocation of capital under someone's other, someone's value sets or someone's set of principles other than my own is a net societal good. Um, I think uh, it will cause, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin's emergence will cause a lot of discomfort in people and taking responsibility and and taking sovereignty will be uncomfortable for people, for people. But, uh, as Vijay said, I believe this is inevitable too. It could fail, of course, but my 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 bet is that it's inevitable, and that means the best thing to do is is to learn about it and to figure out how it might benefit you. Because fighting it is probably going to be uh, a difficult time. Hugh, last words? I saw you. I saw you stroking your mic there.
2: I'm, a, I'm stroking my cat. I'm like a James Bond <laughs> evil character. Um, um, you know, I think I'm the do-gooder. I mean, I think you back at club scout headquarters you guys it, you know fairness and the pursuit of fairness i'm gonna say gives you fascism i think everything that you described and i heard you as you wound it up then it's unfair maybe i should say but the um, you seem to be describing a what you know, personal sovereignty which i i attribute to both of you yeah one of the the attributes positive of bitcoin Personal sovereignty sovereignty is the rejection of community. You're on your own. You're on disagree. your own your own merit. And that's why you're in Thailand. <laughs> you're you like, you know what? I mean I'm out here. Screw you guys, you know, and screw your stop, you know, making my life difficult. I've got to hedge the inflation risk. I'm like, I'll take the cost of hedging inflation risk to keep the people who don't seek merit to just keep them. Hooked in as part of the system. It's the colour
0: of the pills you take. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happily. Well, fair fair enough. I, I, uh, I think individual sovereignty allows you to choose which communities you participate in, and I think that will ultimately lead to uh, better forms of organization. But we'll have to uh, put a pin in that one and pick it up another time. Hugh, uh, Vijay, I really, really appreciate the time. This has been super fun. Hopefully we can do it again. Uh, anywhere you want to direct people before we shut it down? Vijay?
1: Uh, I, I just wanted to thank both of you. It's great meeting both of you and Hugh. This was you know, this was really fun for me to, to meet you and to get to chat with you. So take me up on my offer to have beers in Seattle if you're ever out here uh in terms of resources i've written an article called the bullish case for bitcoin where i set out an economic framework for understanding why bitcoin is valuable i you know i'd love for hugh to read that and maybe give his feedback on that um and i'm on twitter i write about bitcoin all the time at real underscore vj okay well
2: i'm indebted to both of you because i had this curiosity i had this kind of rush um and i wanted to know more um i and, know and you you've helped me gain a, a, a greater understanding and it's fantastic uh, for me i like you i'm on twitter henry underscore hugh um but you know be risky and join me on instagram <laughs> it's silly it's fun <laughs> i just put out a video today um taking some comments i made six months ago i like visuals less i like to i'm i'm nothing but an entertainer I, the world, the wisdom resides on the graffiti in subway walls. So join me in the subterranean aspects of financial markets on Hugh Hendry, official YouTube and Instagram and, and on the Twitter. But I'm um,
0: thank you so much. I really, really it was it was a pleasure. Very nice, Thanks, Jen. Be well, and uh, we'll talk again in the future. Take care.